Okay, recording, go. G'day, welcome to the bar. Hope you enjoyed that little bit of uh, piano music, as you always have. Georgia, how are you? <laughs> it's presumptive to think that they always have enjoyed it, but <laughs> it's what we picked at the beginning, so you're stuck with it now. Okay, recording, go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's not no, bad. I really like it. Um, Georgia, you've, anyway, um, yes. you've added some, some skills to your repertoire recently. Yes, yes, I have. So... I don't know. I've always been, I've always wanted to be good at DIY and like doing, being able to do my own stuff. Like I just, you know, want to be able to like see a cover and be like, oh damn, I could make that and then go home and make it. So you know what? Also with the bad influence or good influence of TikTok, I mean, get lots of DIY, like people buying a house and then redoing it. Anyway, I haven't taken on a product of a project of that size. But I made a vertical herb garden. So I've one of my friends uh, has been teaching me how to like woodwork. So I learned to use a jigsaw, a drill press, um, a circle saw, a router. Like I even made nice little finishes on it. And I'm going to go and pot the herbs tomorrow. And hopefully I'll be drinking cocktails with mint and basil and other herbs soon. Beautiful. A TikTok-inspired interest. and uh, Exactly. It's is... going well, and I have a really good teacher. Very good. Who is your teacher? One of my friends from my Oztag team. Okay. He's very good. If anyone needs to learn to woodwork, I can help you. I have a contact now. Well, I'm familiar with all those tools except the circle saw. What's a circle saw? Okay, look, I'm very unfamiliar with tools, so I might not even be using the right term. Um, <laughs> but it's the one where... So it's a big circle and it's got a handle on top and you pull it towards you down and then you push it back in and it cuts a piece of wood. Ah, uh, yes. I do know what you're talking What's about. It, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. called something yeah, else? No, no. I, I think it's or maybe like a jigsaw saw, but I, I don't know. Probably a, circle saw. You're right. A jigsaw, not yeah. to be confused with a good thousand-piece puzzle. Yeah. Correct, yeah. <laughs> mate. Is one. <laughs> it's got like a thin bit that's maybe you know, a centimetre wide and it goes up and down. And I was like yep. cutting circles out of the middle of a piece of wood with that. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, you spent the weekend refreshing, rejuvenating, resetting. Um, I did indeed. Uh, yep. Went and stayed up on the Hawkesbury River, did a bit of sunbaking with sunscreen on everyone, SPF that up, um, water skiing, paddle boarding. It was really nice on the river. What have you mm. been up to, Justin? Any other I'll weird fads? It was it was a weekend from hell. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, oh, I no. I had to prepare for a moot. Um, I had to finish my contracts. Major assignment. And anyone who does contracts that listens will uh, will know exactly what that was like. Um, <laughs> and then oh, I don't even know. You know what my other commit? Am I allowed to say what my other thing was? Yeah, I think. Oh, I'll say it. Um, okay. We have the LSS elections running at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I believe the nomination and standard statements of candidature should be up by the time this episode is. So go and check out who's running, read what their policies are all about, and then vote as well. A lot of the candidates will also have Facebook events and mm. other or posters around campus or 
other advertising material. So I would highly recommend you go and check that out um, and make an informed decision. I was going to say that it's really, really important to have a look at, at those policies because they do genuinely make a difference to the future of the LSS. But uh, we'll and move on because we do have an episode. That yeah. is coming up. And we do want people elected that will keep this podcast running. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get cut, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we don't need, yeah, we don't need to be cut. Anyway. <laughs> yes, we do have an episode to, uh, to move on about. We are speaking today with uh, a great man by the name of Nicholas Stewart from Dowson Turco Lawyers. Uh, his bio taken from the UTS website reads that uh, his commitment to social justice began in 2003 when he volunteered as a lifeline telephone counsellor to develop the communication skills he'd need in his professional life. Uh, in the final years of his time at UTS, where he studied a Bachelor of Laws, Stewart was appointed president of Caretakers Cottage, a Bondi refuge for homeless youth. He went on to corporate positions at the Nine Network, Minter Ellison and Optus, while remaining on the caretaker's board. Nick now volunteers as a director at Rainbow Families New South Wales, the group he incorporated in 2013 that supports families in the LGBTI community with a focus on regional New South Wales and inner city families. He is a pro bono lawyer at the Inner City Legal Centre and mentors UTS students. He also sits on the Executive Management Committee and is co-chair of the LGBTI subcommittee at the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, which is a group of judges, lawyers and academics that review new legislation to ensure it meets Australia's human rights obligations. Yes, in 2009, Nick was awarded the Elizabeth Hastings Memorial Human Rights Award and the UTS Law Alumni Association Prize uh, amongst other prizes, such as the UTS Community Alumni Award. He's now a partner at Dowson Turco Lawyers, which is a firm that focuses on LGBTI issues and bringing them into the public domain or to court. Okay, well, welcome to the bar, Nicholas Stewart. How are you going today? Thanks, Georgia. I'm good. Great. Yeah. Excited to have you on the bar. Where are you? Uh, where are you joining us from, there, Nick? It looks like some sort of kitchen behind you or something. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. This is my apartment in Waterloo. Beautiful, beautiful place. Beautiful part of the world. Looks nice and furnished as well, which we love. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of interior design critique here, um, Nick. We flagged uh, our most important question with you. If you were a drink at the bar, what drink would you be, and why? I'd probably be an espresso martini. Mm. Um, and I think that just combines my love of coffee, um, but also the smoothness of that kind of cocktail. Um, so it doesn't look too colourful, even though I might be a little bit colourful on the inside, I try and be as straight acting as I can. There you go, there you go. I, I, um, I've been getting into the espresso martinis recently. I don't know about your feelings on them, Georgia, but I don't know, they keep me up on a night out because I'm, I'm a serial full of sleeper. <laughs> me too Justin me too yeah. they are, they're good for the espresso in it I'm actually someone that doesn't drink coffee at all because I don't usually like the taste of it but you know getting to the end of a night getting a bit tired I will actually have an espresso martini I think they're a beautiful classic and a great one to pick Nick I've noticed a few establishments around Sydney tend to have a pre-mix and pump it from a tap and that kind of bothers me mm. <laughs> you're a fan of the a fan of the shaking I am. I like things fresh. 
Yeah, I agree. Do you like, do you like the uh, the coffee bean? Every now and then they'll put a coffee bean at the top. Is that you? Yeah, I quite like that actually. And they're good to like suck on at the end as well. <laughs> Very good. Tackling, tackling the big issues on the bar as always. <laughs> if you're paying a lot of money for a cocktail, which usually you are, there should be a bit of a garnish. Agreed. A little bit of the thing on Agreed. top, extra touch. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. We want some effort from any bartenders listening, please. Uh, Nick, <laughs> we've given a little bit of an introduction to your professional career and what you sort of spend your time doing. Can you tell us a little bit in your own words about um, what you sort of get up to these days? Sure. Well, um, I do many things, but I suppose my main gig is being a partner at an out loud and proud LGBT law firm, Dowson Turkey Lawyers. Um, I've been a partner in the firm for 10 years now. Um, and I joined the firm when I was a little bit smaller um, after a career in corporate law. Um, I was a summer clerk and a graduate at a top tier law firm. I became an in-house counsel at Sintel Optus on secondment from that firm. Um, and um, before I became a lawyer, I had done a commerce degree and um, worked for some of the banks, um, but moved into community work. So I kind of ran a Commonwealth program that helped homeless people in the eastern suburbs. Mm -hmm. um, I then worked for the New South Wales Commission for Children and Young People in policy as a policy officer. Um, and I was the president of a crisis refuge in Bondi for six years during that time and during my law degree. So now I'm a, a partner at Dawson Turco and I mainly do crime. I'm actually 80% of my work is crime and I call myself a criminal lawyer. That's mainly all I do, even though I've got a corporate background. Um, and so I appear in very serious matters in the district court, as well as the local court. I've appeared in the Crime Commission in um, complex proceedings. And um, I also do a bit of discrimination work as well when um, particularly interested clients come my way. There you go. Well, it sounds like you've, you've dedicated a lot of your career to sort of helping those that maybe are kind of um, left behind or forgotten in the eyes of the law. Is that always been a, a bit of a passion for you? Yes, I'm not sure where that comes from, to be absolutely honest with you. I, I was a lifeline telephone counsellor when I did my commerce degree. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed, I did that because I wanted to build my communication skills effectively. But um, being a crisis counsellor and dealing with people in need, I just felt so privileged to be in my situation. And I then developed this interest in the community and helping people who were not um, doing so well, um, which took me through all kinds of paths in community work. And now as a lawyer, I guess I've got all those additional skills, which I can bring. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know what it is, but I just, I don't like to see people left behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone does. And it's really nice to see that you're putting that passion to work at Dowson Turco. You mentioned at the beginning that it's an out and proud law firm. Can you tell us a bit more about what sort of work Dowson Turco does and what their values are? Yep, sure. Look, the firm, uh, we are gay and lesbian owned and operated. Um, but we are prominent in the LGBT community because of our pro bono work and our advocacy on the issues affecting the community. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, for example, um, a large LGBT clientele from across Australia and we act in all states and territories. 
Um, but you'd be surprised to learn that probably about 50% of our clients aren't from that community. And um, the straight community will choose us to be their lawyers because um, we are seen to be passionate about society and making life better for all Australians. Um, obviously, we're technically proficient and we do very well at our jobs and we, we are known um, to be good lawyers. But with that urge of LGBT, um, we attract people who share our philosophy that Australia um, should be a more inclusive place for everyone. Mm-hmm. And for those that maybe haven't studied it yet or, or don't know as well, Nick, what are some of those kind of issues or legal boundaries that are affecting the LGBT community? Well, there's a lot. I think um, the community finds itself under attack um, often from people who generally see um, us as a a risk to conservative life. Um, So, for example, there are those on the extreme right wing um, who believe that we um, are not deserving of equality, that we are... Um, perverted or um, a sexual minority who um, choose to live the life that we lead. And that's just not the case. Um, So when there is um, law, well, when there are laws proposed um, to prioritise religious freedom over the freedom to be who you are, um, we will stand up and we might make a submission or we might write to a minister or advocate um, for the LGBT community, um, we never we we don't say that um, religious people shouldn't be free to practice their religion. That's that's not what we're about. But what we say is that um, LGBT people, LGBTIQ a plus people, deserve to be free from harassment and vilification. Mm. And religious freedom is not a superior human right. Um, all human rights are equal. They all work together um, and the government or our government should not prioritise one over the other. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Do you think that attitudes are changing in Australia? I think slowly they are. I think the gay marriage um, postal survey, as harmful as it was, um, I think it, it put our lives front and centre in the mainstream media and perhaps... Um, more in Australia, more people in Australia learnt about us as a community through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, that process was an awful process for us and to be used as a political football was not enjoyable and many people were hurt. Um, but the end result was an affirmative, supportive yes vote, um, which I think was really validating for the community. But um, having said that, there are still big issues. You know, I don't think... Um, I don't think it could be said that gay children or trans children or lesbian children, bisexual, intersex children are safe or in every school in Australia and uh, there are always going to be pockets and um, governments probably need to lead and ensure that there is protection for kids within our community at school um, to protect them from bullying and harassment. Yeah, definitely. And there's a few sort of issues... Nick, that at least for me personally, as someone that is not personally affected, I wouldn't even think about. Um, We've just got a short list here. Certain issues surrounding sperm donation, parenting arrangements, surrogacy, adoption, 
Can you tell us a little bit about kind of those issues that listeners maybe uh, maybe haven't even heard of before? Well, yeah, look, I think our community has been having kids for a very long time. Um, you know, nothing stopped us from having children. Um, but at the same time, it's more common now to find um, because of our accept, because we are generally accepted, we are probably more likely to, if we feel comfortable having children, to seek out an arrangement where we can have children. And if that's two gay men, um, finding a altruistic surrogate in Australia who is willing um, to bear a child and then go through a clinic for insemination. Um, and so the, there are those issues and those come with all kinds of legal issues, ensuring, for example, that there is an altruistic um, basis for that agreement because commercial surrogacy is not legal in Australia. Um, and for two women seeking out a sperm donor, um, either going through a clinic um, for an unknown donor or going through a clinic with a known donor for the insemination process or conducting a home insemination. Mm. There are all kinds of legal issues that arise there, including um, the role of the donor, whether they intend to be a parent because the law doesn't recognise donors to be parents. Um, and so there is a multitude of issues there. Um, and on top of that, we see at the firm many um, gay men um, having or coming to an agreement with a surrogate outside the borders of Australia um, and then bringing a child home through that agreement. And there may be issues as to parentage or deemed parentage in those circumstances, particularly when Australia doesn't recognise commercial surrogacy and in New South Wales it's illegal and it's seen as a criminal offence to engage in it commercial surrogacy. So there's some of the issues that come up in our community. Mm. Does Dowson Teco dabble in those issues and helping people out in that in family law? Absolutely. Yeah, family law is a big barrier of our firm. Um, and yeah, it's a really complex area, particularly, particularly when there's disputes and our family lawyers are often unfortunately engaged um, when there is a dispute over, you know, who has contact with the child, um, what what percentage of time they spend with the child and those issues sometimes are more complicated yeah. um, when there is a surrogacy or um, where there are multiple people who want to be involved in a child's life um, because it's not always true. Yeah, family issues can be very, very complicated. I guess switching a little bit back to crime, you have been a prominent advocate into the inquiry into gay hate crimes and police investigations in New South Wales in like 1970 to 2010. For people, including myself, who don't know much about this topic, can you tell us a bit about what the inquiry was looking into and what they actually found? Yep, sure. Um, first of all, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and more broadly, regionally in Australia, um, there, we have a, a very, very dark history of gay men, lesbians and trans people being targeted for crime, mm. um, bashings, robberies and murders, particularly in Sydney between the 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s, um, we know that gangs of youths um, sought out gay men um, and trans people and lesbians at lookouts and beachside suburbs um, for the purposes of assaulting them or killing them. Mm. Um, and many um, of many people in my community have um, met that fate. 
and um, the perpetrators of those crimes have not been convicted um, or charged. And so, uh, you know, this kind of stems from me working as I, when I was a teenager, I worked for KFC in Artarmin. And I, one night I was, I think I was about 14. Um, we had a relief manager come in on a Saturday night and he was from the King's Cross store. And anyone who knew King's Cross in the nineties knew that it was a very colorful barrier. Uh, it was, um, you know, you would find members of the community, LGBT community there um, proudly um, showing their love and affection for each other. You would see drag queens and trans people. Um, anyway, he came from the store and he was wearing the women's uniform. He wore the pink shirt, not the blue shirt that the boys usually wore. And he was a really, I remember him being a really nice guy. Um, but there was a member of the staff there who didn't like him because he was wearing a pink shirt and came up to me and disclosed that he and his friends would go out to the northern beaches and hunt gay men for murders and bashings and as a young 14 year old and i i wasn't even out like i was still dealing with my own sexuality and i had this older guy he was 17 i think telling me that he would go out to find people like me um, for the purpose of bashing them or killing them and I just didn't have the confidence to deal with that at the time. Mm. And even though that scared the living hell out of me, um, you know, I was still coming to terms with my own sexuality and who I was, and I just I couldn't confront him. Um, but now I'm a very different person. You know, I'm confident. I'm, I've got a great job. Um, and I've got the power to do something about that. And so I've campaigned for like the last five years for an inquiry um, into the spate of hate crimes in our community, not just in relation to him and what happened, but, um, you know, there are, there are people who met awful deaths on the cliffs of Bondi um, and the perpetrators of their killings have not been found. They, you know, evidence was lost. Witnesses weren't interrogated. Some of their, sometimes their deaths were written off as suicides. Um, families have been broken. It, it is a really, really nasty, awful time. And, Look, the Aboriginal community across Australia has experienced this too. Um, this is not unique to the LGBT community, but because I'm in a particular place, I am seeking justice for those people um, because I just don't think we can move on as a society until we address that and acknowledge the wrongs of the past. Um, and I, I want to hold people to account. You know, there are murderers walking among us. There are people who have committed atrocious crimes. Um, you know, and anyone, if anyone wants to find out more about that, if you Google Ross Warren, um, the newsreader from Wollongong, he's one person who I feel very passionately about. You know, he, his book, car was found, his body's never been found, he's lost to the sea. A coronial inquest found that he was murdered um, and the people who killed him have not been found. Would you say, Nick, that if you could pinpoint the problem in one place, it would be more kind of that investigative area of the law police not following it up and and that sort of thing or is it kind of widespread yeah no i yeah it, look it's a multitude of factors i think at the time society was a very different place you know now if if a gay man is is found at the bottom of a cliff more questions are asked now than they were back then um and the new south Wales police force is really look at it's looked at itself and I think it's improved in many respects in relation to hate crimes. Um, but back then, I think, you know, we were seeing the AIDS crisis was rife. The Grim Reaper campaign um, was a 
campaign, um, anyone around my age would know, um, on the on TV, you would see the Grim Reaper um, at a bowling alley, bowling down families and children. Um, and he was representative, the Grim Reaper was representative of the AIDS crisis. Um, and that, unfortunately, even though it was a very strong public health message and it led to change and protection within society, it alienated gay men enormously. It made us seem like we were this community that had a bug um, that could kill people. And unfortunately, that made us targets. Um, so that and stereotypes and homophobia meant that sometimes when we were found dead in a park or dead um, in a, at the bottom of a cliff, um, you know, no one cared. It was, it was that time. So, you know, maybe, the, maybe and I, I think um, the, some of the police officers who investigated those deaths didn't, um, take them seriously, didn't want to take them seriously, and maybe just um, didn't ask the right questions. You know, um, Scott Johnson, who his perpetrator, or the alleged perpetrator, I should say, of his killing has recently recently been charged, and we'll see what comes out of that. But it took, you know, three coronial inquests, um, a huge media campaign, $2 million in reward money to get that when if the right questions had been asked at the right time and his death had not been written off as a suicide, maybe we would have had answers a bit earlier. Mm. Are police now trained to ask the right questions and on the proper procedures or dealing with people from the LGBT community? I can't speak for all police officers, but I think the New South Wales Police Force has, has really come a long way. You know, they march in the Mardi Gras. Um, there are LGBT spokespeople who have been appointed at very senior ranks who make very public statements um, in support of the community. Um, I'm aware of many gay police officers who work for the police force. So I think it's coming come a long way. And I think, you know, we can't, we can't be ignored now. We're a large part of the community. We're not a threat to the community and we deserve protection. And I think police forces are catching up. Mm. I get on the topic of the police force, there've been large discrimination cases against the New South Wales police force for gay police officers who suffered homosexual discrimination whilst employees as policemen. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And the Yeah, sure. Um, Dallas and Turco acted for four gay police officers who were the subject of drug testing at mm. um, Newtown local area command. In fact, one of them was actually not at that local area command. He was the de facto partner of one of the people at the Newtown local area command, but he was tested anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and we discovered um, through legal proceedings that the target that they were targeted um, for that testing because of assumptions based on the gay community, assumptions that they took drugs because they're gay men. Um, the, the person who who targeted them um, was their commander and he made a complaint. Um, the, the complaint was lodged and the matter was referred to the Professional Standards Command and uh, uh, a unit was set up to investigate. Um, and they only discovered that they were targeted after they were contacted to say that the drug testing revealed um, no, no drug use. Um, they sued and um, and we were successful um, in, in the legal proceedings in a finding that they were targeted because of their homosexuality. Mm. Um, and that, that matter took its toll, took its toll on everyone involved. It was a, it was a very, very um, challenging matter to run and um, it took a long time. 
Um, and two of those officers are now, have left the New South Wales Police Force and to remain. Um, but I think that was an example of where, um, you know, there are there is prejudice and I'm not suggesting for a moment that the whole of the New South Wales Police Force has this issue, but this particular person who lodged the complaint was able to do so um, and ratify that complaint and escalate it to a professional services command who then conducted an investigation and it just seemed that no flags, even though the, the complaint had very serious homophobia in it, um, there were words written in that which was evident that the person making the complaint held homophobic attitudes and that didn't seem to raise any flags. So I think that case is really important. It's really important for us as a community. It's important for the people who, those officers who sue, but it's also important for the police force to acknowledge that, you know, this particular person could do so much damage. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until we sued that it was revealed. Mm -hmm. Do you think cases like that and the work of Dows and Turcos allowing more instances like that to come to light and people to be held accountable for their actions? Yes, I do. I, the public interest litigation is a really important thing mm. um, because if, and it goes to the, you know, those clients, for them to sue and use private lawyers to do that, you know, you need resources to do that. Um, so kudos to them for doing it. Um, but also, you know, not every lawyer would take on a case like that. Mm. It's, it's really, it, it drains you, you know, it's, it's enormous. Um, and it's personal. Uh, as much as we, we try not to let the personal get involved, it is personal. But cases like that are important because they put um, issues um, on TV screens and newspapers in the family home. Mm. Um, and we, sh we want to be front of mind. We want people to know that life isn't always easy for us as a community and sometimes we are vulnerable um, to discrimination and bullying and harassment. Um, so those kinds of cases are really important. Mm. Nick, I think today you've given us a great sort of grasp of the issue. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening that uh, feel passionately about it. If a law student um, does feel that way and sort of wants to enter the vocation of helping the LGBT community, what can they do now to, to kind of get a head start in that area? Look, I think um, any law student who's passionate about um, improving the lives of any community group, um, there are lots of opportunities for them. And I think the first thing I would say is join Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. I sit on the executive of that organisation. I'm also the chair of its public interest committee, um, public interest litigation committee. It's an enormous organisation, an association of judges, law students, university lecturers, um, lawyers, barristers, and we have thematic groups. So we've got an LGBT committee, we've got a women's committee, we've got a children's committee, a refugee committee, an Aboriginal committee. Um, and we also have state-based committees, so a New South Wales ACT, you name it, we've got a, a jurisdictional committee. So all of those committees can um, work to improve the lives of um, the people, the subject um, of their thematic purpose. And I would say to all law students, join Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, get involved in a committee that interests you um, and be involved in change because at a, 
Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, we are making submissions to government every day. In every state and territory and the Commonwealth, we are making submissions every day on laws, on bills that are before Parliament, and we, have, we can make real change um, because our whole submission, our whole perspective is about looking at laws through a human rights lens um, and ensuring that Australian politicians acknowledge the obligations that they have um, because Australia is a signatory to international human rights treaties and instruments. So that's one way um, everyone can get involved um, to change or change the law. But in the LGBT space, that's one place, I would say, for law students to really make, make ground. Fantastic. Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, we, I'm sure we could talk about some of the issues the LGBT community face for a lot longer, but um, we've, you know, we've gotten a really great grasp of it and hope you've enjoyed it as well. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Georgia. Thank Great. you very much, Nick. Well, I guess we'll sign off there. Yeah. Uh, I've been Georgia. I've been Justin. And we'll see you next time at the bar.